Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. God promised Abraham that he would be a blessing to many nations. On today's program, we'll see how this blessing started with one man and one barren woman and how they created a lineage that would save the world. Part three of Cheryl's message titled, It Begins with a Call. God says, I will bless you. God promises his divine favor, his divine gifts. God says, I will make your name great. Last week, we studied what a name meant to that culture. And God promises to give Abram a name, not from the name of his country or his family, but a greater name, a name that will have a greater reputation, a name that will have a greater identity, a name with a greater worth, a name that will be inscribed in the everlasting book of life, and that thousands upon thousands will read about and want to emulate. He says, I will make you a blessing. Don't you want to be a blessing? Don't you want to be like, come sit at our table? And bless us. Don't, don't you, you know, want to be invited to people's houses? Because, oh, here comes the blessing. I want to be a blessing. When I was in Sunday school, it's probably because we used to sing, make me a blessing. But he says, Abram, I will make you a blessing. Wherever you go, you will bless others. They'll be glad you came. They'll be like, oh, wasn't it so glad to have Abram here? I will make you a blessing. And then he says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. God promises to bless the friends of Abraham and to defend him against his enemies. I will do what is necessary. You know, for me, this is, this is such a word. I want to bless I want to bless the saints of God. I want to be a blessing. Because when you bless those that God is blessed, you'll be blessed by God. I remember meeting Nancy Sylvester and Dave in England. And at the time, they were living in a house that was about 400 square feet, (laughs) tiny home. But then it wasn't a blessing. But they were living there, and they had left all, left a house, left security in Arizona, Uh, to be in Bradford, England, which wasn't the nicest part of England. They had sacrificed everything from their savings, everything to live there. And I remember just hearing their story, and I thought, I want to bless these people. I, I, I know that God's hand is on them, and I want to be, I want to bless them. Because maybe if I stand close enough, the shower of blessings will splash on me too. I want to bless Beth more 
because she's been a blessing to so many and she's blessed by God. I don't want to get a curse. You know, I just don't think it's, it's safe to curse anyone, is it? Because if you curse somebody that God has blessed, whoa. Wouldn't it be better to be a people that blesses everybody? Wouldn't it be better just to get in the practice of blessing others and bringing the blessing of Jesus to them? You know, if cursing can become habitual, can it? It just can. Like, ah, darn it, dang it. You know, it can just become our reaction to everything. We open, you know, the door slams. Ah, you know, rats. <laughs> you know, or we can't see out our window because it's, you know, the sun's shining and it rats. See, you know. You know, every, our whole life can become about rats, which are a blessing. Don't you want to be those who bless and not those who curse? Don't you want the blessings that are falling on others to be splashed on you? You know, Jesus said, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What would you like? to be blessed. Me too. I want to be blessed. And if I want to be blessed, then I need to get in the habit of blessing others. I want to encourage others. So they'll say, oh, there's Cheryl. Let's encourage her. Yes. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And then he says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God's going to start again with one man and one barren woman. And he's going to create a lineage that will save the world. Oh, God starts his greatest work with small things. An old man and an old woman following the call of God will result in the Savior of the world. Jesus, the Messiah, the blessing, the greatest blessing of the whole earth will come through the lineage of Abram. God protects Abram and Sarah even in Egypt. He preserves them through the famine. He enriches them through the Pharaoh of Egypt. And he plagues Pharaoh's house in order to set Sarah free and protect Abram. In chapter 13, back in Canaan, after Lot leaves, God speaks to Abram and says in Genesis 13, 14 through 17, lift your eyes now, lift your eyes now. Perhaps Abram was looking down Perhaps he was so sad over the separation, but God says, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could count the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. God's 
promises. But I also love the comfort and the renewal of the promises of God at emotionally wrenching times. Have you ever had that? You're just gutted. You're thinking, I, Lord, this is, this is the one that's going to take me out. <laughs> ever feel like this is the one that's going to take me out? I used to surf, if you can call it that. And I remember those waves, sometimes I'd be like, this is the one that's going to take me out. I love you, Lord. I'll see you soon. This is the one. This is the wall of water that's just going to kill me. This is the one. And then the promise of God, it comes and it reminds you, this is not the end. This is not the end. This is just the cross. This is just the valley. This is just the venue. There is more. I love how we read in these chapters that God calls, God appears, God speaks, and then God encounters. Don't you love that? It begins with God speaking, calling Abraham. Then we have him appearing to him. And in chapter 12, just a little bit later, chapter 13, we have him speaking. But God also brings victory. How is it that Abram with 318 servants could defeat, pursue, and recover all the goods? I mean, think about it. It's one thing if he just defeated or drove them back, but he defeats, he pursues, and he recovers. You know, it's like David who said he took that lion by the beard and he took the lamb right out of the lion's mouth. That's what we're talking about, recovery. He not only chased the enemy and, and, and won the battle, but he recovered all that the enemy took and more. It can only be explained by the hand of the Lord on Abram. God did it as he promised Abram, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those that curse you. He blessed Abram. The greatest reward, though, is the encounter with Melchizedek. Again, God calls, God appears, God speaks, but God encounters. God encounters. God meets us. Isn't that incredible that we have a God that meets us? And look how God meets him. He's called Melchizedek, and the name means king of righteousness. His kingdom is a kingdom of peace, and he is a priest. The only other person in scripture where the office of king and priest and prophet meet is in Jesus Christ. And we're told in Psalm 110, that the Messiah would be after the priesthood of Melchizedek. In other words, he would be king, priest, and prophet. Moses introduced him as the prophet. Melchizedek introduces him as the priest. And David introduces him as the king. The Messiah is priest, he is king, and he is prophet. He comes to Abram with wine and bread, covenant foods. The great king of peace and righteousness has come to Abram with covenant foods from God to assure him that he does not need to fear reprisal. He doesn't need to fear the oppressors and the kings coming back 
God has dealt with them. And Abram is in a covenant with the king of peace, the great king. He reminds Abram that God has delivered his enemies into his hands and that God is blessed by the possessor of heaven and earth, by the greatest blesser, by the greatest power, by the greatest person. Abram is already blessed and no earthly king could undo or ruin that blessing. Abram ties one-tenth of all the spoil to Melchizedek. Remember Abram, the rebel in the land of Baal, and yet here he receives bread and wine, covenant food, and he's blessed and receives blessing, and then he gives a blessing, a tithe of all the spoils. The encounter with Melchizedek is wondrous, It is comforting, it is encouraging, it is a blessing, it is revelational. You see, when we answer the call, there is nothing, nothing, there is nothing like hearing the Lord speak to impress something on your heart. There is nothing like having God appear to you, maybe in a dream or sometimes in a a person who is speaking to you, the word of God, and you see Jesus in them. You see Jesus in them. Having God speak to you, bring a scripture to mind or say, look, I'm with you. I've got this. Giving you a promise. But then encountering Jesus, those times of deep prayer, when you just feel like Jesus enters the room. In Luke 24, when those disciples, Cleopas and the other, are so downcast, they, they just think that life is all over. Jesus has been violently, deceptively taken and crucified publicly where everyone knows he's dead, then embalmed and placed in a tomb. And it was done by the religious leaders, by those who are supposed to be leading the nation to God. They've taken the greatest man that ever walked in Israel, who healed everyone who came to him, who only spoke truth, who showed so much love and compassion for the multitudes, who fed the people who calmed storms, who could cast demons out, the only one who could ever raise the dead. They, with their wicked, cunning hands, have publicly put him to death. And they're so dismayed. They're so downcast. And then women, you know, women are. They came and they told these disciples that they went to the tomb. They met angels, women, women with their hallucinations, women with their drama, met angels. And the angel said, Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. And and they, they said, they were talking, what do we do with these things? You Could these women, could these women actually be telling the truth. Could this really have happened? It's so unbelievable. And then Jesus joins them and he walks alongside of them. He says, what what are you talking about? And they're like, what? You have a stranger. Don't you know the things? And I think they just kept their heads down. Don't you know the things that have been happening in Israel? Jesus, a man mighty in power and miracles. It was It was this Jesus. We thought thought he was the Messiah. But then our religious leaders 
took him. And they condemned him to death and they crucified him. And then these women, they went to the tomb and they said, he's risen and they saw angels, you know. And Jesus says to them, oh, foolish and slow of heart. Don't you believe what the prophets and the word of God has said? And then we're told beginning, beginning at Moses or the book of Genesis, he goes through all the prophecies concerning himself, proving that the Messiah had to suffer and then rise again. And they're listening. They're so intent on listening. I think they're looking at the road, just trying to take it all in. And then he says, well, it was nice talking with you. And they said, no, please stay a little longer. Just eat dinner with us. And they sit at the table and they're looking down. And when he receives the bread, I think they looked up to see the bread. And then they're like, Jesus, as he breaks the bread and he disappears. And then they walked to Emmaus, but they ran to Jerusalem. They couldn't wait to tell the disciples, Jesus is risen. He's risen indeed. And they said to each other as they're running, weren't our hearts burning? Did you have a burning heart? Yes, I had a burning heart too. Oh, when you encounter Jesus, that burning heart, nothing, nothing is like encountering the King of Righteousness, the Prince of Peace. Nothing. And that is why the cost feels like nothing. That's why the challenges are just par for the course. Because I am in a covenant. I am in a covenant with the king of righteousness, the prince of peace, the possessor of heaven and earth. I am my beloved's, and he is mine. And it's not just that I get to encounter him, but it's that this great God, this great king, he wants to bless my life. He wants to do great things with me. I I, I remember we had never told our kids about Santa Claus. It wasn't that we thought Santa was bad. We just forgot about him. Yeah, we just never thought about Santa. He wasn't in our kind of our radar. And so we're, we're at the mall, and my daughter, Kristen, my oldest, she sees all these little kids all lined up to see Santa. And she doesn't know who she is, and she's like, she wants to be where the kids are. So she, she wants to. So Brian and I look at each other. She's four. She might as well. So we stand in line because we never thought about it before. We didn't really have an uh, opinion. We didn't call him Satan Claus. Nor did we, you know, call him, you know, um, Saint, yeah, Nicholas. We just didn't do either. We're just like, oh, yeah, there he is. We never thought. So she's in line. And she goes up, and they take a picture, and she's like, and she comes off of him. And she looks at us. She goes, that guy wants to buy me a present for Christmas. (laughs) Like, is this, like, so good? I've never met him before. He wears red and fur. He's got a beard, but he wants to buy me a present. I'm all in. But you know, this God, this God who is possessor of heaven and earth, this God who is the king of righteousness, 
He wants to give us a present. He wants to give us lots of presents. He saves us so he might bring us into the blessing. Give us a land. Give us a lineage. Give us a a purpose. It doesn't just stop at the call. It doesn't stop at the cost. It doesn't stop at the challenges. They're just par for the course of getting into, of encountering and walking with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Faith is only activated when we step out in obedience to the call. And it will involve a cost, emotional, social, financial, all sorts. And it will be uncomfortable. There will be challenges to all the promises of God. It might be a move. It might be a famine. It might be a threat that is seen or a threat that is unseen but felt. A threat that is spoken or unspoken. It might mean separations or loss or deficiency. It will definitely mean battles and pursuits. But there will be the exhilaration of hearing God calling you, of having God meet with you, of having God speak to you, of having God appear to you, of having God encounter you, of having God give you promises that he will fulfill of having God give you victories that he will bring. The life of faith begins with a call to action, and it involves challenges and cost, but it comes with the greatest of all rewards. Abram's life is a YouTube video of this. God wants to make your life a YouTube video of faith. Isn't that cool? Wouldn't it be great if your daughter says, I want to live just like you? I mean, my daughter will call me up and she'll like, Mom, I'm in like one of those things that you and dad have been through. And then she starts going on and tells me how much her life is like my life. I love it because she used to not want to be like me at all. And now she's like, we're so alike. In fact, this is how alike we are. Last time she visited, she came downstairs in the exact same shirt. I kid you not. Same shirt. And she looks at me like, no. I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> this is the shirt. I think I talked about this a couple weeks ago. This is the shirt, $9.99, online, made well, free shipping at the time. I mean, we even bought it at the same time. It arrived like the same date to her house and to mine. It was like, yes, welcome to my life. I mean, it's just. Don't you want your kids to be able to say, I know God came through for you, so I believe he'll come through to me? Don't you want your kids to want your life? To say, that's the life I want. That's the marriage I want. That's the friendships I want. That's the church I want. I want the church that blesses I want that church. I was talking to a friend this week. This is just a side note before we pray and dismiss. But I said to her, shouldn't the church be the place that blesses and doesn't curse? Shouldn't everyone on the out be wanting in? Instead of like, let's not be like Russia where everybody wants out and nobody wants in. God 
wants to make us the place of joy, of blessing, of forgiveness, of encounters with Melchizedek. So everybody wants in and nobody wants out. The life of faith begins with a call to action through obedience. It involves challenges and costs, but the reward is great and priceless, knowing God. As we walk in faith and take steps into the unfamiliar and unknown, we'll see God's provision and care as we experience a true and living relationship with God Almighty. God had you on His mind before the creation of the earth, and He has designed a call just for you. Though the costs may seem high, the rewards are beyond measure and eternal. May God help us to trust and believe Him as we step into the call He has for our lives. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at God's precious promises as we continue our series, Our Great Creator, in the book of Genesis with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.